From Shimano America and Aztec, this is Shop Talk. I'm Shuji Sakai. Do electric mountain bikes belong on trails used by hikers, equestrian riders, and regular mountain bikers? Or do they only belong on trails designated for motorized vehicles? This contentious question was the focus of a panel discussion held at the 2017 e-bike summit, and the answers were a lot more nuanced than you might expect. If you have a stake or an opinion on the issue of trail access, trail building, or advocacy, you'll want to listen to this episode. This annual summit is organized by People for Bikes and the Bicycle Product Suppliers Association, and this year was hosted by Shimano North America in Irvine, California. The panel members are Dave Weens, the executive director of the International Mountain Bike Association and former pro athlete. Photographer Leslie K. Meyer of the Wide-Eyed World has over 20 years combined experience building trails and documenting mountain bike trail projects, events, and destinations throughout the world. John Riley is the global product manager of mountain bikes at Trek Bicycle. Ken Miner is director of sales at High Bike USA, and Troy Lee is the founder of Troy Lee Designs. Randy Neufeld directs the SRAM Cycling Fund and moderates this panel discussion. I, I am delighted to be here today. There's nothing better, nothing a better predictor of the future of an industry when it gets together and works on its common interests in growing the market. So we're going to talk EMTB. We're going to start with some storytelling. Let me introduce our storytellers. We have Troy Lee, who's about a minute away. So we'll all give him a round of applause when he comes in. Um, we have Dave Weens, who we just met. We have Ken Miner, and Ken is from High Bike. And Leslie, who we met previously, and John Riley from Trek. And that's the seat for Troy. We're all going to applaud when he comes in, OK? As soon as he sits down, everybody cheer, all right? But we're going to start with some storytelling. And what I would like the panel to do, um, let's start with Ken, actually. And let's, let's talk about what's the best on-the-ground story you have of e-mountain bike access. So um, probably the best story I know is um, uh, the involvement we have with Jefferson County and what they're doing. Where's, um, where's Jefferson County? Sorry, Jefferson County is, the, is basically the playground for the front range of Denver, Colorado. So they have plenty of open spaces out there. Um, they are working on an EMTP uh, policy right now. And they have put together um, quite an extensive study program uh, where they go out to open spaces, they'll go out to mountains, they'll go out to single track trails. And they'll have uh, people come by, fill out a questionnaire, um, ask them about e-mountain bikes, what they think of them. Uh, the responses are, uh, we can't stand the fumes and the noise, things like that. Um, they will have ghost riders out there on e-mountain bikes, um, especially around the, the more flat trail parks. And they'll ask, have you seen an e-mountain bike today as one goes by? And the, the people will say, no, I haven't seen one. And so um, I think it's pretty interesting that the opinions and how they change, and Jeffco does a great job of putting this study together, but um, how e-mountain bikes uh, and e-bikes in general um, don't have this big um, impact on, on everybody as the, people think they are. They're very low impact, they're quiet, and so far no fumes. So. All right, Leslie, your story. Not e-mountain bike access story? I think the one that comes to mind is, is a recent story from working with the Forest Service in Lake Tahoe. Um, and it was riding with uh, one of the engineers there. And he's very involved in trails. He's very fit. He rides mountain bikes a lot. And we went out, um, not in the snow. And we got back. And he can stop smiling, and he said it was the best ride of his entire year. All right, John? Uh, from an access standpoint, I'd say it would be an outreach that we did with an association of foresters that were meeting in Wisconsin for the first time this year. And it's a national association meeting that they had, and we did a demo there. 
And you never know really what to expect at something like that. It was a demo inside, um, but you could ride around in an area there. And, uh, you know, as everybody I think is experienced with e-bikes, you know, the smile factor was huge. And I think even though that day nothing was decided, I think laying the seeds for the future with that group is going to have a bigger impact, you know, later on. And, and doing those types of things that are kind of offbeat and things you don't normally look at as ways to reach access in the future are things that you need to open your mind to. There's a lot of different ways you can influence the uh, access in the future. Okay. You're Sit there. right there in that chair. <laughs> and all the others have uh, sung a song. Oh, cool. So, uh, I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> no, what we're doing is we're telling um, e-mountain bike access stories. Okay. Um, kind of your best story. Dave, do you have a story? Sure. Okay. How are you doing, Dave? Good, how are you I just think it's funny that on the, the People for Bikes website, they have the 10, you know, 10 great places to ride your e-mountain bike, and three of the 10, 30%, are within 30 minutes of my house. <laughs> <laughs> Troy, a story? Uh, e-bike. Um, gosh, they just keep happening daily. I just rode at 6, 5.30 this morning. My nine-year-old son came into my room, and we went for an e-bike ride this morning in Laguna Hills, and it was just, I mean, before school, it was just uh, awesome. Just, uh, we had to short, do a real short one, but it was out and back, and uh, we were back in 45 minutes, so it was amazing. But in, in, any, any story of, of uh, where access has been threatened or it's not allowed and you think it should be? Um, well, that's how I started doing the Boogaloo races. Um, I went up for the motocross race up in Mammoth, and they shut the trail down from the village to the top, said it wasn't, e-bikes weren't allowed. Uh -huh. And um, I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. We're up here for a motorcycle race, and this is awesome, one of the funnest trails. And um, we uh, got, uh, I called back because I called Bill uh, Cockroft and said, hey, man, this is a fun trail. Are you sure this thing shouldn't be allowed? So I got him down there and got him to ride one of the bikes. And um, we kind of turned it around. We got him on there, and he wanted to order two of them after that. And uh, the Forest Service was like, these things catch, the, you know, catch places on fire. And I'm like, well, I haven't heard about that. But that was uh, probably three years ago. But um, I think we've kind of turned Mammoth around a little bit. And um, now uh, Bill's riding e-bikes, too, and his wife. So okay. it was, uh, it's pretty easy, to, I think, to get, a, get people on bikes. And all of a sudden, they start you know, the e-bikes, and they start smiling to find out how cool they really are. Yeah. It just makes the playground twice as big. I have a question for Leslie. So, Leslie, you've done all this mapping, and you've probably better than anyone sort of surveyed the, the story of access and, and not access. Do you have any analysis or overall sort of view of the, the landscape of e-mountain bike access in the United States? It's a big question. Yeah, you've done a, a lot of work. Can you, ask, can you narrow it down? Well, just, yeah. just um, are there a lot of states where it's um, legal many places for e-mountain bike access? Are there, are, are there a lot of states where they don't really know what the policy is? Are there a lot of states where it's prohibited? Sure. Uh, what's the sort of mix of local access? We've heard a lot about the federal story, but mm -hmm. what, you know, what... what just what's just sort of sure, give sure. us some snapshots. Well, you know, let me start with the federal story is a good place to start. Uh, we know what the policy is, but I think one of the most surprising things is that there is a lot of motorized single track out there, and and mountain bikers are that's one of the greatest experiences we can have. I'm a mountain biker. Um, is is the single track experience, and there's plenty of, of motorized single track out there. So that was uh, somewhat surprising to me. And of course, most of that is in the West, um, Colorado, California, um, Idaho, Oregon. Those come to mind. Um, but I think the other thing that's interesting is we have plenty of local entities. So. Um, from the state and the county and the local level who are already deciding their policy and they are allowing EMTBs on trails where mountain bikes are allowed. Um, and so that's surprising. And I think 
it's, it's good because we're seeing that across the country. It's not just in the West, because uh, sometimes the West gets a lot of press and we think that there's only mountain biking in the West, but there's mountain biking everywhere. Um, so those are, I think, two things that come to mind in, in talking about the landscape. Um, and that uh, in those policies being friendly at the local level, land managers, and, and I would say this is a testament to the work that IMBA's done over the years, land managers can start to wrap their heads around it. They are prepared, they are educated, um, and they feel comfortable making that policy. Um, how, how big is this? Um, when, I, when I asked that, it's a, it's a I'm gonna try, try to say it right. Is it one decision at the federal level, one decision in each state, um, is, there, is there a way that the local decision-making is done efficiently, or are there hundreds of decisions that need to be made on e-mountain bikes? Is, is, is this something that's going to take years to deal with, or can we get this um, um, figured out in six months? Are, are you asking me? Or yeah. You, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, no, it's, um, I tallied, if you look at all of the land agencies, and this is just a ballpark of the entire country, of all the routes that have been cataloged, um, there's upwards of 2,000 different land agencies out there, um, and that's from the federal level, and that, that includes each district, you know, for the BLM. The BLM is, is one federal agency, but you have, you drill down into the state level and then into a district level, um, and that's, that's essentially where the policy is going to start is at the local level. But when you roll all of that up together with all of the states and all the national forests, you're talking about lots and lots of agencies and lots and lots of experience and perspectives um, that we're dealing with. So I, I don't want to say, oh my God, it's going to take years and years and years, but there's a lot to deal with and a lot of people to provide outreach to and education. And, and, and the first ones are always the more difficult, but then things kind of get going. Right. I'm wondering if Dave can give us, are there any lessons from the past um, in terms of trail access and new technologies, new types of mountain biking that might help us here? Well, you know, it's very similar to what mountain biking went through, of course, when mountain biking was the new kid on the block. And um, we can certainly look back to, to that time, but I think that it is, it's the partnerships, it's the information, it's the communication, it's... I don't like to use the word caution sometimes around the industry because I don't think that that's the word that they want to hear, but I think sometimes it's important that we're, we're careful about how we do things. Sometimes we can be, um, you know, try to get something in quick because there's a short-term gain there, but ultimately it doesn't work out in the long run. And I'd love to, to you know, more than anything, see mountain biking access as well as e-mountain biking access be healthy for a long time into the future. So, um, you know, th that, those are the lessons that I see. It's really important that we um, have that information. Everything we've heard today is all about that, too. It's that communication and collaboration and, and information, um, so. Um, a question for Ken and John. It's about the balance between advocacy and responsible riding and selling and marketing e-mountain bikes. How do, you, how do you do that balance what kinds of things are you thinking about? What are the challenges? So, I think it was said earlier from Leslie earlier, there's 42,000 miles of trail that's available to us across the US. So access is out there right now. Is it close to populated centers? Not exactly. Um, so at High Bike, we make a, a special effort to, to when we're um, advertising in print, we make sure we reference people for bikes and where you can ride your, your bikes or uh, to their map. If it's local, we'll say these are the exact trails in your local neighborhood where you can uh, ride your e-mountain bike. Um, I think there's more we could do. We could in embed this, which we've kind of learned here on our own website, and I think that's probably the next step. But we're very cautious about um, educating our dealer base so that they can educate their consumer on where they can actually ride these e-mountain bikes. Right? I don't always ride an e-mountain bike. I ride a non-electric mountain bike as well, and I don't want to lose access for that. And so, we, you know, in case you guys are wondering, it's a non-electric high bike that I ride out there, so. Yeah, we need a name for non-electric, you know, the, the analog bike. I don't know what, the, what uh, yeah, mountain bike. Acoustic mountain bike, there you go. Um, John? 
Uh, and I think there's a couple things there. One, as a, a company, a large company in the industry, we have responsibility um, in a lot of different ways, um, both from, you know, as you said, our website and our presence, but then drilling down to the dealer. And uh, specifically in EMTB, uh, we found that it is a game at the dealer level, um, both from educational and doing the right thing and also working directly with the land managers that matter in their particular area. And that's where People for Bikes has been a huge asset. So I'm going to put a plug in for these guys because they really deserve it, uh, the work that this group has done and Leslie's done to give us the resources that half the group, I believe, didn't even know they had until they came here today. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you look at what's available from this group, you have a map you can go to that you can say where are the trails. You have a toolbox that you can get that shows you how to deal with EMTB and being an advocate in your area. All these things are available for people for bikes. So we're a strong supporter of people for bikes. We'd encourage everybody in here to be a strong supporter of that because all these tools and things that we do are what we need to get it done. And I think ultimately we also have to get to a, a 50 state policy of talking the same way mm -hmm. about one, two, and three with the MTB and all uh, e-bike access. So from a bigger picture, yes, we have a responsibility. We're trying to follow through. We do have educational pieces. We actually do uh, classes for our dealers, uh, specifically at Trek for e-bikes. We've been doing it for the last couple years and we fully support the other groups that are jumping in so it can be across the board. Um, we do it with stickers on the bikes that say, please uh, ride this bike in trails that are available. Where all of our bikes coming in the US and uh, Canada now have the, uh, the sticker. Uh, the designated sticker that shows that that bike can be easily designated as an e-bike. We want to make sure that land managers know what an e-bike is versus another bike. That's another situation where land managers sometimes don't know the difference it's between the class what bike sticker is. Right, so the class sticker, the class one sticker is on all of our bikes coming in the U.S. And uh, so those are things we're doing, but we do believe that the dealer has to be a huge participant in that because whatever Leslie does or this group does on a national level is really going to matter what happens out your back door with that land manager on your trails. Isn't, isn't there a temptation by, by retailers to say, oh, it's okay to ride there. You're... you're you're not going to get a ticket. Don't worry. Nobody's enforcing it out there. How do we how do we deal with that? <laughs> That's a, a kind of a life question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, making people do the right thing. Um, no, I mean in reality, I think the good thing with our industry is we have a lot of very good dealers and uh, a lot of very good people in this industry. And I think most people want to do the right thing. I think that would be the outlier or would be the people that wouldn't pay attention to the rules that are within their area. I know within all the people I know, um, that would not be the case. They'd do the right thing. I think that's how mountain bikers kind of got brought up and got to where we are today. So um, how do you deal with it? Uh, hopefully you deal with it in a way that uh, either maybe the vendor or someone else deals with it, but and ultimately they're gonna get dealt with by the local authorities and probably um, hurt their business in a way that uh, is not beneficial to anybody. So there's a, there's a payback if people do the wrong thing. In um, life as well. In life as well, <laughs> all right. Um, Troy, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about convincing land managers for EMTB access on non-motorized trails. In other words, con convincing land managers to give it a try, maybe to do a demonstration project or change policy. What are the kinds of arguments or benefits that we sell? Um, how do we, you know, what challenges are they presenting us and how do we, how do we respond? Oh, let's see. Trying to figure out how to answer you there. So there's some tricky questions there. Um, I, that's that's my job. <laughs> I'm not getting quite the controversy, but the trickiness I'm I'm, I'm nailing. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I ride in, and you know, it's even like Laguna Beach. I'm not sure if it's. It feels like it's a gray area right now. I'm not sure if I'm legal or not legal. You know. Um, and I, I'm focusing on, you know, I mean, I, I just, I love them. I think they're the future, and I think we need to really wrap, I'm going to get sideways on your question here, but um, I think we really just need to wrap our arms around them and try to, what I'm doing is just trying to, I think like they should come with some simple things like bells on them and um, for the Forest Service where you, 
You're going fa a little bit faster on these things. Yes, you're, they're going to have some head-ons. Would that be an electric bell or a manual bell? I put bells, just a little bells on all of mine, just because <laughs> you're coming around the turn and you're going a couple miles an hour faster. You know, it's, it's definitely made me and uh, my whole family, I'm educating them on we need to be a little bit better, <laughs> better than we are, put a little more effort out there than being on regular bikes because they are a little bit... Um, you can just cover a lot more ground. You know, your playground gets twice as big. And um, I'm not sure, even on some of the trails that I'm riding, I'm like, well, this one's legal, but this one's not legal. It's, it's, a, it's a gray area. Um, so, any of our other panelists, what should the bike industry be saying about gray area trails? So I think the issue is that there probably is a policy in place, but it's not acknowledged right. is what a gray area ends up being. So yeah. basically there isn't Thank a you. sign that says yes or no, but there is a policy. I guarantee you on 90% of those trails that is there for deciding what it should be. Yeah. It's just whether or not it's marked. My feeling, and this is more personal than speaking of Trek, was I would avoid those trails. That would be how I would feel about that situation just because whether it's mountain biking or e-biking or whatever, if it's gray, you jeopardize some of the area uh, for access in the future. And if it's that, where there's a trail that isn't marked, but there's a policy, you know, it'd be best to figure out if you can find the policy before you use that trail. Did, did you have a comment? Yeah, Dave? Yeah, I guess, I guess going along those same lines, something you hear sometimes is closed unless signed as open. So if you came to a trail that was open to bikes but closed to motos and the, you know, the sign hadn't been updated to, for e-bikes, that's a judgment call, but I think you could, you know, to be on the safe side for access, you would say it doesn't explicitly say it's open to either e-bikes or motorized, so I won't ride the, the moto on it. Okay. Do, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. I was going to say, from my perspective, from my brand's perspective, there, it's really a simple messaging that it's either... EMTB allowed or it's not. If it's gray and it's just what you were saying, Dave, if it's not expressly allowed, then we would say you should not ride on that and find out the proper policy. If you want to change it, go through the procedures. But it's really not a gray area. It's either black or white for this. It's either you can ride it or there's everything else. Should, should we have any in enforcement or accountability as an industry for people within the industry who are turning a blind eye towards the regulation or encouraging people to ride trails um, that aren't, aren't open to EMTB. Is, is there some follow-up we should have? Well, I think, <laughs> I, I look at the, uh, the manufacturers that are in this room, and mm -hmm. I can't imagine that any of the ones that are in here would have a policy where they would say, it's all right, no one will catch you. Uh, mm -hmm. From a retailer standpoint, we do reach out to retailers in the rare event that we hear these stories. Okay, so you are, and educate you are talking them. to them. Yes, uh, and educate them about what is proper, what isn't, where they can get the right answers. Um, but I don't know from a manufacturer's standpoint that I could pick anyone in here that um, would be doing something like that. So Morgan and I have had a little chat once in a while about the issue of, of e-mountain bike access and its effect on regular mountain bike access. And there have certainly been many fears expressed about the, the potential impacts of e-mountain bike access on regular mountain bike access. My question, does anybody have any real world stories? Have anybody know of any incidents uh, where those two have played on each other? I think I can speak to the the concerns that uh, they're kind of I, I call them myths, um, not from an on on the ground experience with the bike, but just in a meeting with state uh, Oregon state parks last month, um, and they're currently reviewing their policies for allowing EMTBs on their natural surface trails, um, and it was a host of things: the speed of the bike, uphill. Um, the batteries causing fires in the forest. And then there was even a staffer that um, was concerned about, um, well, it was kind of twofold, that new people getting on EMTBs are less capable than uh, a new mountain biker 
Um, so there's an interesting split in terms of just what a beginner is. A, a, a beginner on an EMTB is like, like they can't even pedal or you know ride a bike. Um, and then to further that, that if that person were to fall and the bike were to fall on them, they'd be trapped. Um, which seems really, really silly, but <laughs> these are actual concerns from land managers. Kind of answers your question. Yeah. Anybody else have any, any stories? Dave? Yeah, and I think we all know that mountain biking uh, as a sport has some foes out there. There are, it's great, the land managers are warming up to e-bikes. Well, I'll tell you one group who's not warming up to e-bikes, and that's you know the hardcore hikers who don't like mountain bikers. It doesn't matter. They're going to always point to that motor and go, mountain bikes have motors now. And I think that's a real issue with, with some of the mountain bikers. It, you know, if, if some guy's got a problem by someone passing him on an e-bike, you know, that's, you know, that's no big deal. But there are some, some real issues around, and now especially with, with what's happening in, in the wilderness debate, it's, it's national. And people are talking about, you know, mountain bikers wanting access to the wilderness, and that's great, but there's the side that is, you know, skeptical about mountain bike access in the first place, and then they start talking about, you know, well, now they have motors, so it's a, it's a real, it's a real challenge in, in those situations and something that, that's what concerns, that's what we hear from the mountain bikers. So have you, have you heard that concern from the, the wilderness and environmental groups specifically? Yes, we've heard from a couple of um, conservation groups that when we changed our EMTB position, they were suddenly concerned about the direction that that was going because they see their, you know, essentially their motorized bicycles to, to a lot of people, which they, technically they are. Uh, it, it, it's a, it, you know, it's a challenging situation coming up. We have to really not minimize the challenge that we have and that's where hopefully if we can be, be cautious about this, um, we can thread the needle in most places. Um, let's take some questions from the audience. What questions do you have? Over here, Jonathan. Question is for Dave. And speaking of what you just mentioned, the foes of mountain biking, uh, do you think it's worthwhile for our group to do some education towards those foes about what e-bikes are and clear misconceptions or is that already going on or what, what are your thoughts on that? I would say w what would you tell them? You know it's, it's essentially you're taking the mountain bike and you're putting it on PEDs. <laughs> you're, you're taking a mountain bike and so take the mountain bike category and if, if, if we all kind of get lumped together you're just making that category of mountain bikers bigger, faster, and stronger. And that, you know, I don't know what you can tell them. I don't know what you can tell a hiker and how you can calm their fears about the e-mountain bike because for every good story about, you know, the hurt person, the injured person, the seniors, the families riding together, there's, I'll bring it back to, you know, if, if my son and his buddies went out on EMTBs, they'd be, they'd be pinning it. And uh, they're 19, <laughs> that's what they do. And that's a challenge. So I don't know how you'd reach out to, to people who have a, a, you know, don't want to share. They kind of have a closed mind. And we all know they're out there on, you know, on every side of every topic that exists in this country. Yeah, I, I do run into a lot of hikers. And, and I, sh you know, I share these bikes with, because I'm a huge fan. And I think it's the future. And I think we have to, um, you know, wrap our arms around this thing and, and, and uh, enjoy it, but also, you know, take care of the trails. But I don't look at it as a motor. I look at it more as, it, you know, I, when I come across somebody, I go, it's, it's this, class one is human powered. If you don't push on that pedal, it's not gonna go. It's not a throttle. So it's an assist. I mean, I feel like when I ride, I'm like, man, I feel like Lance Armstrong without the drugs, <laughs> you know? But it's, What's that? Or with the drugs? Okay, yeah, <laughs> with the drugs. Yeah, whatever. But um, I like that it doesn't. You can't. I'm I'm totally against the throttle, which I know is class three, right? With a or is it okay? So um, and I think the the thing that I keep looking at in Europe is the speed a little bit lower. Is it 17 miles an hour? And we're what is it? 15.8. Okay, and we're over here. What are we? 
Okay, I thought it was 19. Okay, I'm still learning too here. But um, I think that that back wheel isn't spinning without your legs pushing it. It's, you're not tearing up the trails as much. Um, so I just, I just basically, even with the Forest Service, when they do stop me, I say, you know, this is, this is pedal assist. If my foot's not pushing that thing down, it's not spinning. And I look at it a little bit. When did we um, switch to uh, derailers in the Tour de France? In like 1937, was that it? When they started allowing the derailer? I, I almost feel like this is almost a derailer thing that's, uh, you know, a cog. <laughs> that rear cog is pedal assist also, you know? If it was direct drive, it'd be a whole other game. So, um, I don't know. I think there's a place for it. I think we just need, really need to wrap our arms around it. And, but that's how I've been able to, even I, I notice myself when I'm going by somebody on the uphill and the guy's full lycra shaved legs and I, I'm like, oh man, I gotta start breathing a little bit harder and I gotta be a little extra friendly and because <laughs> I, I am prepared for them to give me a little bit of, you know, a little bit of shit sometimes. But uh, if I walk them through it and say, this is pedal assist and, you know, I've, I got in a really bad accident a couple years ago, three years ago and on a motorcycle, broke my back, had my uh, interior amputee of my hip, and it was the first bike Specialized gave me that I could get back and ride. I was in a wheelchair for a month, six months, not putting any weight on my left leg, so that's how I kind of entered into it. And um, since then, I've just been a huge fan, and you know, I think it's, I don't think there's really any way we're gonna stop this. We just gotta start figuring out the best way to put some rules in here and keep growing with it, you know? Because it's just, uh, I took, Last year I took the bikes to the IndyCar race and they all run scooters around the track, mini bikes from all the, for autograph sessions and everything else. And uh, I let all the drivers ride them around and now they're all running them. Um, I see the big advantage. I think that, you know, over the next couple of years I'm seeing more and more even in Laguna Beach. I think we're going to be able to put, you know, more e-bikes on the street and eliminate cars. And that's a huge, a huge advantage, you know. Yeah, you're, you're actually talking about stopping and talking to people on the trail, sort of a, a very retail, one-on-one -on -one trail communication. And I think if you look at the early days of mountain biking, there were a set of things that mountain bikers brought to the table to show that they were um, responsible and deserved to be there. And those included, um, rules for sharing the trail and making it really clear that they were they were publicized but there were also other things trail maintenance that benefited everyone um, I don't know Dave if you want to talk about some of the things that that some of the lessons from that kind of kind of you know basic um, good citizenship of trails that that are very much a part of this yeah and, in, and what mountain bikers did was they uh, they maintained trails. The stewardship piece was huge, but they also created a ton of trails uh, that then were used by hikers and, and uh, trail runners and, and motorcycle riders in some cases. That's how it is where I live. Uh, when I first started riding in 1987 around Gunnison, there was very little single track, and now we've got you know probably you know 60 or 70 miles of single track, uh, and that's because of the mountain bikers. No one else goes out there. Hikers <laughs> hikers don't go out there and build trail uh, or main tra maintain trail. That's something that's almost the exclusive domain of, of mountain bikers. So certainly that and being involved with land managers, uh, helping the land managers out with a tough job, and especially now with diminishing resources, uh, it's been the, the trend anyway, but uh, anything that uh, we can do as, as, as you know, cyclists to help that out. Um, but I do want to caution one thing, and, and that's that if we do end up with um, more and more on the trail and the, we get to a point where we can't tell a regular bike from an e-bike if a trail if a trail isn't open. These are the fears we hear from advocates all around the country, particularly in places like San Diego. It's very acute uh, down there. California is where we hear a lot of, of um, everything. It's 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 where we have the most desire to ride in wilderness areas because they've there's been so many wilderness areas developed around their cities, and it's also ironically the most um, you know loudest voices against e-bikes uh, as well. So we just have to be careful because at some point, if a land manager is like, there's just too many bikes, I don't care what kind they are, we have to, we have to close this trail to all bikes. And that's the fear of some mountain bikers is that we'll get to that point. So we just have to be very cautious and it will be those population centers where uh, we might be in the, um, where there's just so many people. Are, are e-mountain bikers trail stewards? 
Are we, are we helping, are we pushing, are we encouraging e-mountain bikers to follow the playbook, the early playbook of mountain biking and be, be trail stewards? How do we do that? I think for sure we are and we have to. We have to wrap our arms around this and, and, and better the trails, you know. I mean, there is going to be more bikes out there, so that's something we have to be concerned. And we have to definitely have um, better trail etiquette, you know. So I think for sure we have to. So, so one group that uh, we have very actively uh, gotten bikes for is the trail groups. Um, E-bikes actually allow trail maintenance to be a lot more easily accessible with tools and with, uh, you know, chainsaws and things like that. So what's amazing is that uh, some real haters in the mountain bike group that are part of the trail group, as soon as you talk to them, have them ride it, get the smile on their face, and then talk to them about using the bikes for trail maintenance and, you know, all types of issues, emergency um, ability to, to get to people in injuries and things like that, it actually uh, has worked in a positive. So I think uh, it is following the same thing. I mean, I think it's a lot of similar mentality and I think a lot of it's about, again, about education and about a lot of things that groups are doing now to lay the groundwork so that, you know, the problems that come up is more threading the needle than uh, breaking the dam. And there's a retailer role too, right? Would you like the mic? Um, <laughs> Well, like I said, I, I, I keep coming back to, uh, you know, the retailer's involvement is so critical and it's important that it kind of has layers. We have, you know, groups like uh, People for Bikes that are supplying a lot of uh, the pieces we need. Uh, we as a, as a, you know, community within all of us have to be able to fund these outreaches to do all these things. So that's a responsibility we have. And then we have to be able to supply information and training to our dealers so that they can properly inform their customers when they come in to buy. And it's, it's basically we all have to work together in this. There's no one piece that's going to make this happen. It's going to be us working with groups and advocacy groups and then the dealers taking the responsibility at their level to educate the customers they have and hopefully influence their land managers to look at EMTBs with an open mind, do a ride event with them, and you know, do what they can to keep it open down the road, even one, two, or three years. And can I just emphasize that? Because if you go to the, say, the, the websites of the big three and you look at their e-bike offerings, you will come away with that not knowing that there's any sort of an issue at all with riding them. And the word trail is peppered throughout all of their descriptions. So it's, it's clear where they're, they're designed to be being ridden and where they're um, targeting the marketing towards being ridden. There's also no, no word whatsoever about people for bikes. So someone would never know that they need to go to people for bikes and click through a couple different places to get to this resource. So as, as retailers, you guys are on the, the, the front lines and you're almost the only person on the front lines that has that contact because they're, gonna, they're interested. They went to a website, they watched a cool video, they saw some cool bikes, um, okay, I'm in, I'm going to a bike shop and their next stop is the trail. There's only you, that's it. So it's gonna be on you guys to send them to People for Bikes or to IMBA as we get more resources or to educate them yourselves and know where they can ride them, know where they can't ride them. Give them that great experience. So, and I've heard double or triple next year, EMTBs. And this was the first year it felt like, um, and I'm probably have my head in the sand living in Gunnison, but this is probably the first year it felt like it really was pretty real on the landscape. And if next year it's going to be double or triple or more, and you know stories coming out of Europe are that it's you know a friend of mine that I used to race with said it's it happened faster and it was bigger than any of us expected, and he's in the bike industry, so not that it's going to be exactly the same, but you guys are critical in this. The the, the retailers are the start and the finish, I believe. Other questions, right back there. Uh, so my e uh, mountain bike. I can switch off so I can ride it like a normal bicycle. Is it then able to ride in all the trails when I ride it in that mode? Um, does anybody know the answer to that? I don't know. I've done it plenty of times too. <laughs> I mean, I try to ride mine without the power off quite a bit just because I. I want to make sure I get the exercise out of it too. So I'm, I'm finding myself, the more I ride it, the more I'm using less power on it, especially downhill. <laughs> I think the folks at People for Bikes can answer that a little bit better, but I think the issue isn't that it, the power's on or off, it's that, that there's a motor there. 
The answer is no. You cannot ride it. it Yeah. Being switched off does not affect its legality. Um, it, it, the word is that it doesn't, but we'll 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 follow up if there's a change to that to that line. Other questions over here. So my question is to your point, Dave, about there's more e-mountain bikes being sold but the policy seems to be so different and varied according to state, whether it's federal or state land or if it's a local park, city park, they all have different rules. And obviously the industry's trying to work with the different agencies to figure out how to increase access. How as an industry do we have, do we have a unified front with land managers on even the issue of access? Because I feel sometimes Certain local advocate groups don't want e-mountain bikes anywhere versus others are like, maybe here. So even as an industry approaching land managers, um, maybe they're hearing differently from different groups. Where does the land manager turn? Because as an industry, I think we can all agree we're not all on the same page as to where access should be for EMTBs, right? Well, I, I think we keep going back to the same thing. People for Bikes on their website has a great playbook that we can use to address with land managers and be on the same side. I know IMBA has a great etiquette uh, uh, spot on e-mountain bikes. So um, there's a lot of resources that we can use and that we can refer people to, but it almost goes back to the, all the work that's been done at People for Bikes. But Ken, what about working with those local groups that may not be on the same page? How do we, how do we deal with that? Well, we get the opportunity to go out and just have people try it. Um, we, we're not going to force it on them. If they don't want to try it, they don't have to. But uh, we have different chapters within IMBA. Some of, us, uh, some of them come to us and say, we want to learn about EMTBs. Others don't want anything to do with this. So the ones that are receptive, we'll go out and work with them. All right. Go ahead, Larry. So, um, this policy, change of policy statement that um, Dave put up on the screen, anybody know when that was um, publicized? It was the end of October, right? So it's really new. And how, how about, anybody know what the policy statement was prior to that? Let me tell you. Um, it was, we think they're wonderful and have fun riding on trails that are designated motorized. I mean, that's sort of the Cliff Notes version. This is a major change. I mean, IMBA, the most respected organization as viewed by all of the agencies, the, Leslie, you said, I think they're like 2,000, right? Um, look to IMBA for guidance on things as, as they come about. This is an emerging technology, and it's gonna take a long time. Uh, for access issues to be resolved. The fact that IMBA has changed and updated their policy statement, I think should be hugely applauded by all of us in the industry. Uh, there, there's another really important point. I mean, the Bicycle Products Suppliers Association is an industry organization. IMBA is not. IMBA is a, a member-funded organization, and occasionally they get some financial support from the industry. But I think, what is it, Dave, about half of your support comes from uh, your membership, mountain bikers? So, um, you know, there are uh, folks in the industry that have said to IMBA that have been financial supporters uh, recently, hey, what's your policy on mountain bikes? And before the end of October... Electric mountain bikes. Electric mountain bikes, thank you very much for that. <laughs> Their policy on mountain bikes is, is I get bigger. It. I'm yeah. easily confused. Um, and, you know, Dave didn't really have an answer, but they've updated the policy and 
if anybody's withholding financial support from IMBA for an update, well, you just got one. And we should continue to support the great work that, that IMBA is doing for mountain biking. And, you know, there are some e-bike only uh, companies in, in the room. Um, but for the most part, we're, we are the bike industry. And it happens to be inclusive of, of e-bikes. Um, I don't think any of us that bridge the two want to see anything that is going to have a negative impact on trail access for mountain biking. And we are completely aligned with, with that, I think, as an industry. So um, I get really concerned when I hear, you know, people that want to sort of push the envelope. I mean, I think we can do all the things, the right things to help advocate for the agencies to look at it a little different. And, and you can point to the IMBA policy statement that says, hey, you know, we think class one, pedal assist only, as opposed to self-propelled. And that's a word that I've been using a lot lately because I think that's really the differentiator. Um, should be considered when it's not going to have a, a negative impact on trail access for acoustic mountain bikes, okay? Um, and I think it's, it's, it's phenomenal. We've, we've come a long way. There's a lot of work to do. Um, and I'll tell one brief story about an experience that I had um, in early November after the statement was, was publicized in L.A. County. Um, L.A. County Parks and Rec uh, called me and said, hey, could you come out and do a demo for our executive committee because they're right now they're considering whether or not to allow e-bikes on our trails in county parks. Well, I showed up and I was really surprised that there was a boardroom setting and the ability to project uh, you know, some slides and you know, I thought I was just going out to a demo. And um, I got to the slide where IMBA's policy statement was updated and they all went, wow. That's big. If IMBA is becoming more open-minded to this, then perhaps we should as well. And then we went out and rode, and it totally dispelled a lot of their thinking and the myths that they, you know, had conjured up in their mind about a Class 1 pedal-assist e-bike being like a motorcycle. And so, you know, decision wasn't made right then and there, but they're a lot more open-minded to trials, and um, that's sort of where we're going. We're not going to get anywhere fast. Nobody's flipping a switch and say, yep, they're mountain bikes. They should be allowed anywhere mountain bikes belong, because in reality, they're not. I mean, Dave highlights some issues where you have trail capacity uh, problems already without e-bikes being in the uh, landscape. So, I, you know, we have to do the right thing. And I think doing the right thing and acting uh, locally, but thinking nationally about the implications is, you know, as an industry that what would like to see e-mountain bikes proliferate is, is really the way to go. And Dave, thank you. Thanks so much for the efforts and the work that you and the IMBA board have done on updating the policy. Um, I guess I, I, I would like to make one point, and that is um, SRAM, like many of your companies, works on both sides of the Atlantic, and the story with e-mountain bikes in Europe is very different, but it's also not all rosy. And the, the situation is often that when you have e-mountain bikes that spur a lot of new use, you get crowded trails, and when you get crowded trails, that's when you start getting pushback from hikers and other groups. The amount of trails that are available is a big issue here. Overall, trail building is probably one of the most important factors in terms of access, both for traditional mountain biking 
and for e-mountain biking. We need to increase the supply of trails so more people can have uh, the solitude experience that they're looking for. As soon as things start getting really crowded, that's when the conflicts start to occur. So I think part of the lesson here is really to support overall trail building, and again, IMBA is, uh, is a great vehicle to do that. I don't know if others have comments on that. Yeah, and that just happens to be the direction we were going, but not for e-mountain bikes, but for, for traditional mountain bikes. But happens that e-mountain e bikes can, can come along for the ride if we are able to build enough trails. But as we know, trails are expensive. They're hard to get approved in some situations on some landscapes. Um, but more and more, we're, what we're trying to do, I use the word catalyst. Our group, Trail Solutions, is not going to build all the trails we would like to build around the United States. That's where the professional trail building industry comes in. And if we can just be the catalyst for the development of these trail systems all over the place, yeah, that is an answer. If more people have more places and the segregation of use, I know we talk about multiple use all the time, and here's the conundrum for mountain bikers. We want, we want some separated use. We want some directional trails. We want some mountain bike optimized trails. We want some trails where we can let go of the brakes and fly confidently knowing that a family of four is not walking up the trail into our path. Likewise, we never want to give up access to those multiple use opportunities either. But as mountain bikers, and you guys can do this again in your shops, it's very important that we ride responsibly and understand when you're at Whistler or you're on a directional trail and you can let go of the brakes confidently, or when you're, it's 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning and you're in a multiple use system and you can't ride the same way and there's, a, you know, there's blind corners around every turn. So IMBA, it, you know, it's, it's core to our mission to, to have trail development proliferate around the country because trails are good for people. That's the reason. And with, you know, it, it's only underscored and emphasized by the advent of e-mountain bikes. And what is the deal with e-mountain bikes? It's because they're really fun. I mean, that's all I hear from people is that, and I haven't, I've ridden one, but not on trails. If I had one where I live, I would ride it because we've got moto trails out the wazoo, then they're, they're great fun to ride. Um, but that, all I've heard is that they're, they're really fun and, you know, that's why it's going off in Europe. People are like, this is great. You know, I love this. So we need more places for, for both mountain bikes and e-bikes. And that's what we're working on. Any other last comments? Anyone? The only comment I was going to make was your uh, comment about Europe and what's going on in Europe and what's going on in the U.S. Um, I guess one comment I would have is it didn't happen overnight. Uh, it's been going on in Europe, and I'm talking about EMTB. I mean, Power Assist has been going on for a very long time in Europe. The EMTB segment, though, has been maturing over a period of time. So it's not like it happened overnight. And yes, there is a, a large number of people over there doing it. It's gotten to a point now in Europe where people are making a decision between an e-bike and a traditional bike. That's the transition point that it's gotten to. So, you know, they are in a much more mature market of what they're dealing with from that, but there's lessons to be learned from that um, experience, and it's a, a lessons that we've, we're talking about here are all part of that, but I think that um, from an industry standpoint, we do have a lot of knowledge about, like, EMTB and, and how it affects things, and I think we're doing all the right things. I think everybody just has to be a little patient because this is not gonna happen overnight, I think. There's people that want things to happen overnight. They hold money back because their things didn't happen overnight. This is not an overnight situation. This is going to take a while. And that's the only thing I'd like to emphasize for everybody here is that continue to spread the good word, be patient, do the right things, and this will grow in a way that it'll be way more organic and it'll become part of the structure. It just isn't going to happen overnight. That was John Riley of Trek Bicycles. Thank you to People for Bikes and the BPSA for organizing the e-bike summit. Thanks also to the other panelists, Dave Weens of IMBA, Leslie K. Meyer of the Wide-Eyed World, Troy Lee, and Ken Miner of Highbike. Randy Newfeld of the SRAM Cycling Fund was our panel moderator. For Shimano America and Aztec, this is Shuji Sakai. We'll see you on the next episode of Shop Talk.